Welcome to Tricky Fish, a conversation between a Gen X dad and his millennial daughter. Here's your hosts, Ian and Rhiannon. Hello, if you have been listening to us all along, welcome back. If you are listening to us for the first time, welcome. We hope that you will like what you hear and will continue to listen to us. We're glad you're here. Yes. So obviously I'm Ian. And I'm your worst nightmare. I'm Batman. No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm Rhiannon though, if that matters. Okay. I just want to make sure everybody's clear who's who. Yeah. Okay. So sound alike and look alike. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Uh, so, have you ever heard of something called the stoned ape theory? I vaguely remember Paul talking about it. So, like, I kind of know what it is, but I'm not educated on it or, like, I'm very familiar with it now. All right. Well, I'm going to feed you, baby bird. <laughs> but first, just real quick, a content warning. We are going to be talking about psychedelic drugs, psychedelic drug usage, and human evolution. So if drugs is not something that you can handle listening to, feel free to bow out. We won't hold it against you. Totally get it. And uh, yeah, and check out other episodes. Come back for the next episode or whatever. The other thing that I also want to address is that we are both aware of the historic negative impact on communities of color with regards to drug usage, the war on drugs, that sort of thing. And this is not an episode that will touch on that. We will do a future episode about that. But for this episode, we are just talking about human evolution, enlightenment, spiritual growth, those kind of things. Exactly. So if you are hoping to hear that, it's not going to happen this episode. But like I said, we will definitely do an episode on it because we definitely think that's something that's important that we need to talk about. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so stoned ape theory. So there was a dude named Terrence Kemp McKenna who was an American ethnobotanist and mystic who advocated for the responsible use of naturally occurring psychedelic plants. I love that his official title was a mystic. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, actually, he uh, was considered the Timothy Leary of the 90s. Timothy Leary, for those who don't know, he was the one that back in the 60s was talking about tune in, tune out, Mm. doing LSD, so mind-altering substances. But this dude wrote a book, I mean McKenna, not Leary. So McKenna wrote a book, and I believe it came out in the 1970s. Don't quote me on that, but I really think that's when it came out. On a side note, somebody told me that the younger generation has been referring to people born in the 90s, born in the late 1900s, <laughs> and I'm angry not, about it. That's not wrong, though. Because it's not wrong. I was born in 93, <laughs> but not the late 1900s. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, in the like uh, mid to late 1900s, this book was released. Yes, and it was called Food of the Gods. And in this book, McKenna had proposed that the reason for the transformation from humans' early ancestors, which was Homo erectus, to the species Homo <laughs> sapiens, which is what we are. Yeah. Erectus. <laughs> um, Yes. So the reason for this was mainly it had to do with the addition of psychedelic mushrooms like psilocybin into their diet. And I do have part of a clip from, I believe it's McKenna. School movie daytime. Imagine all the lights turning off, your teacher wheeling in a cart with a giant box TV. Yeah. It's movie day class. (laughs) It's movie day class. All right. So I'm just going to play, I'm not going to play the whole thing because it's like 18 minutes and some odd seconds. I will include a link to the video in the show notes. And so on if, Twitter. And on Twitter. So if you want to check it out, I will totally give you that. 
you guys can check it out. But I just want to play this part from Terrence McKenna. And here is my answer to this riddle, where did human consciousness come from? It begins like this. In that foraging phase where we were testing all kinds of plants on the grassland, small amounts of psilocybin mushrooms would have naturally been eaten in the process of eating corms and things like that. I personally have seen baboons uh, in Kenya investigating cow paddies on the savanna uh, because they know that bug uh, pupa will be under the cow paddies. So the cow paddies are already set up as vectors for possible sources of nutrition. So there is no question that these proto-hominids would have eaten psilocybin in small amounts. And by small amounts, I mean amounts so small that if you were to eat that much, you would feel nothing. But it's, this dose level has been studied and it causes increased acuity of vision. You can actually give people small amounts of psilocybin and then give them eye tests and they do better if they're slightly intoxicated than if they are not. The guy who proved this, the Viennese psychologist Roland Fisher, when he described these experiments to me, he said, and so you see, my young friend, here we have a case where the use of drugs actually introduces us to a more true vision of reality than if we have avoided the drug. <clears throat> Scientific proof that the drug is telling you more about reality than if you had refused it. All right, now, what kind... Okay, basically the gist of what... McKenna was saying was that our early ancestors, so that was Homo erectus, basically we lived in trees mm -hmm. in Africa and they were forced. So basically they lived in the trees, they would forage in the trees, eat in the trees, whatever. But as they were forced from the tropical canopy because the jungle was shrinking, it basically forced them to ground to find new food sources. Mm-hmm. And in the process of finding new food sources, they had encountered this psychedelic mushroom. Mm -hmm. And because of this psychedelic mushroom, it basically expanded their consciousness. Now, in that video clip, they were talking about the visual acuity, um, edge detection. Mm -hmm. So basically what that means is that, like you would be out in the tall savanna grasses. And obviously if something were small and moving, that was likely a food source. But if it was large and moving, that was likely a threat. A threat, right. And taking this would give you the ability to catch this movement. So it seems just like enhanced peripheral vision. Where like right now there's a certain spot that after a certain point I wouldn't be able to see anymore. It sounds like this widened that. Um, I don't know Which, so much. I did... experience that again. <laughs> but I, I also feel like maybe it's more of just being spatially aware, like energetically. That's what I think it more is. I don't think it's expanding your peripheral vision because we all have certain peripheral vision. When our vision is 20-20, which is the baseline, right? You mm -hmm. have a specific field of vision mm -hmm. peripherally. Now, depending on like nearsightedness, farsightedness, astigmatism, whatever, that can affect your peripheral vision. Mm -hmm. So my guess is that you take these mind-altering fungus and then 
that makes you like more hyper aware. Yeah. So that's what he's talking about. Now, there are criticisms to his theory. Mm-hmm. Some of the criticism is centered around that he's kind of not really understood what Fisher was trying to say. Okay. Um, we Regardless can maybe t- of what his original point was, I still am seeing the point this person is making, though. Well, yes. So basically, you're going along, you're homo erectus. And <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I know. I'm a child. <laughs> my my inner child is chuckling too. I get it. But you know what's interesting? You're not consuming is- this on a like a huge level like you would if you were going to a rave. Yeah. It's just it's there in your food source. Microdosing is what we're talking about. Microdosing, yeah, yeah. right. Studies done now have shown that microdosing with psilocybin and even um LSD and something else. But mind-altering substances nonetheless. Microdosing with those have had significant improvement of people with CTPSD Mm -hmm. and depression. Right. And I myself have also had that similar experience where those things have had a good effect when being done in microdoses versus larger trips or larger doses. And like I've never experienced a full trip on mushrooms. Like I'm air air quoting trips. Like I've never experienced like the walls moving or any earthly things being weird or sure. Like I've never had a bad trip, but every time that I've done it, it's psilocybin. Like my mind has unlocked things. And like an, an example is the first time I ever tried mushrooms was with like a group of friends and we went to like a street festival in a small town and we just walked around and we're looking at art and things like that and it was it was lovely it everything was beautiful i was really enjoying it i was feeling the energy it was great and then i went to the bathroom and nobody told me that you're not supposed to look at your reflection when you do psychedelic (laughs) drugs so if you ever do mushrooms don't look at yourself in the mirror unless you're like prepared for it because have you seen the movie mars attacks mars attacks yes it's, it's, uh, I think it's Tim Burton. It's older. Yeah, it's like the, the ac, 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 ac. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. So I became aware, like I looked in the mirror and made eye contact with myself, and I became aware that I was a meat suit being piloted by that brain with eyes and the stem that you see in Mars Attacks, right? That is what humans <laughs> are. It, sure. We are being piloted by the brains that's connected to the spinal cord that we, has uh, the eyes and, and then the meat suit. We're and, in a, and, a, <laughs> a meat-based mech suit. Yes, and... I was so incredibly uncomfortable. We're meat gun knowing that, and it like that changed my life forever. And that was years ago now. But uh, whenever I had particularly bad dissociating episodes, it mm-hmm. would I would just I would just be very aware of that and be so uncomfortable. But I'm much healthier now because of other things. The point I'm bringing up this story is the like a week later I was at work and I was just like doing my normal job. It was absent minded, not a big deal. One thing that is known to happen if you have CTPSD is you can get flashbacks. Right. And I had never had flashbacks before this point, but because of the mushrooms that I had taken, all of a sudden I just kind of I was transported into a flashback of a really bad traumatic event when I was a kid, and then I came out of it uh, and for did a that second that have anything to do with me? Yes. <laughs> it's okay though. Not because, surprising. Hold on but... though. It's okay though because immediately my mind, like I felt my heart start like speeding up and like just having the realization that this happened to me as a kid. And immediately in my mind, there was a voice that was just like, what does knowing this change? Absolutely nothing. I still survived it. I still got through it. 
here I am now. I'm not in that situation anymore. I am safe. I am healthy. I am able to keep myself that way. I'm at work. Like things are okay. I was able to talk myself through that and not even have a panic attack. I didn't have a whole thing where I needed to get closure. I was able to give that to myself. That was the first time I was ever able to do that. Wow. So I experienced my very first flashback ever and immediately talked myself down from a panic attack. Because of the mushrooms? Yeah. Like it was it was like within two days of doing them. And when oh, so I, you weren't on the mushrooms? No, okay. this was after. And I, when I looked into it, apparently a lot of people have reported that like after doing it, like within like the next week, mm-hmm. while it's wear, wearing out of your system, right. you have these realizations, but you're still calm about it because you're able to have a different mindset than you normally would. Oh, interesting. And so like, even though this, this situation, if, if I had lived my life knowing this, I would not be comfortable in so many life situations that I'm totally fine in. Like, for example, I'd have a problem with guns, like firearms. Right. And like the, everybody, this is America. Like everybody has guns. Huh. So Unfortunately, in some at, cases. At this point, like if I had the personal rule of I can't be around that, that would severely limit my pool of people. So at a certain point, not knowing kept my life open to really good people that I'm glad are here, but also happened to have guns, you know? I think there's a lot of responsible gun owners. And yeah. I think as long as you're being responsible with it, that's fine. Yeah. But, I, it would be the people what, but, that would be ridiculous about it that I would have a problem with. I agree. But the, the point of bringing that up, though, is like it was a traumatic event, but it's okay. Knowing didn't change anything for me. Now I know. So I'm like, okay, that makes sense why I didn't remember that part of my life because that mm-hmm. that little chunk was locked and like it was stored away in the recesses of my mind. And then the psilocybin reconnected that. What's the what's the word? Neurons. And yeah, neurons are firing. See, I'm ironically talking about like these things firing on my brain and I can't make it work. So how do you know that it was connecting to an actual memory and not a altered memory or even a false memory based on the the psychedelic properties of the mushroom itself? Well, two things. One I actually reached out to a couple other people that were part of the situation and just asked them like, hey, I remember a situation that happened like this. Can you confirm or deny? And they confirmed. Okay, so. So it, I, I did get like third party judgment that like that did in fact happen. I was part of it. This isn't something I just dreamed of and believe or whatever. That, so like, the flashback was just something that had additional people. Yeah, in the situation at the time. Yep. And so I'm just like, hey, this was my experience. Did you also have that experience? Was I there? Are you aware of this? And they were able to confirm that they remembered too. And I did remember it properly and whatever, whatever. And then the other thing is I now is actually an interesting time for us to have this specific point because I've been leaning more into my intuition Mm -hmm. and I've been trying to trust when I get these like random ideas or like random thoughts that I'm like, okay, how can I tell those apart? I can feel it as fact. So when I say that, it's like with this memory, when I had it, it wasn't like, was this a dream that I had? Is it possible that I didn't remember this? It was a I know for a fact this happened, like, regardless of emotion, I just am aware of it now. Like, oh, yeah. Okay, so not commenting specifically on you and your situation, Mm -hmm. but it has been proven that people can have false memories. Yeah. Of things that completely never happened. Mm -hmm. So, like, a big example of that was, like, back in the 
eighties, there was this thing called the satanic panic where like there was all these reports of like stories of kids getting sacrificed to Satan and stuff. It turned out it was absolutely not true, Mm -hmm. but yet all these people had these memories that this thing happened. Mm -hmm. They remember like being on an altar. They remember a knife or whatever, but those fake memories were very real to them that they honestly believed that that was an actual memory. Mm -hmm. So extrapolating from that, how do you determine? Well, oh, oh, before I ask the question, there's also this because we had a conversation about a memory that you had I didn't have. And then I had a memory that sort of matched up with the situation. Mm -hmm. So do, do you care if I share this memory? I mean, if you feel comfortable with it. Okay. Okay. So you had a memory of me almost throwing you down the stairs. Yeah. But I don't have a memory. I would say of, a toss. Like throwing is a little bit more violent. Than... <laughs> okay, a toss. But, but I remember. Still downstairs, yes. Sure. But I don't have that memory. Mm-hmm. And I remember a lot of the stuff that happened because I have carried that guilt with me this entire time. So, um, but I do remember because we were arguing at the top of the stairs. Mm-hmm. And I remember that you almost stepped off the stairs. Mm -hmm. And I reached out and grabbed you to keep you from going. So that's a situation in which there was a thing that happened. But because we were arguing and it was different perspectives, I'm obviously yelling at you. I'm being a complete (laughs) a-hole. So that makes sense that I'm reaching out and you obviously probably were not aware that you were about to step off the steps. Yeah. You know, so you remember it as me like almost tossing you down the stairs. Mm Mm-hmm. But see, on my end, from where I was standing, because your back was to the stairs, and I was standing in a way that I was looking, I saw you about to step down the stairs. And as a parent, you would naturally, like, reflexively grab. Right. But and also, not not to be a dick bag and actually, like, squeeze lemon into the wound. But <laughs> um, I also didn't feel safe anyway, so I wouldn't have assumed that you were trying to save me. Correct. So, but, like, I naturally would have been inclined to think that you weren't on my side. Exactly. So, and I bring that up because, so the question is when you talk about like completely fake memories, like with the satanic panic Mm -hmm. stuff, and then you look at memories that are true insofar as you understand it to be true, yeah, but is not actually true because there's an actually different perspective that you were not aware of. Mm -hmm. So in light of those examples, Mm -hmm. how do you know that those things that you're remembering that come up, how do you know that those are actual memories, again, not fake memories, not memories that are colored by being a certain mm-hmm. point of view versus, you know, a different point of view. Do you know what I'm asking? Yes. Okay. And there are several answers. So the first one really boils down to my faith in myself and my ability to trust my memories okay. or my ability to remember, I guess, is the first thing. But also, though, this skepticism is part of that comforting talk that I had with myself in that moment when I had that flashback mm-hmm. and I was like, feeling the stress starting and i had the whole like what does knowing this change absolutely nothing also though what if it's not real because i used to have night terrors Mm -hmm. and like my imagination is very mean so it's oh yeah totally possible that (sighs) i I could have imagined that whole situation and so part of that that talk i had with myself was we don't even know if this is fact like we don't even Mm. know for sure so why would we react why would we spiral when nothing can be changed, if it did happen, nothing can be changed. Right. You've already moved past it. You're not in that environment. You're not living with these people mm-hmm. anymore. What purpose is there to get upset about this when literally nothing can be done about it? 
So you're taking a more pragmatic approach to it. Yeah. Okay. And, and then at that point, it's also like, also, though, the human memory is fickle. And what if I'm imagining? What if it was a night terror? Like, what if it is bullshit? There are so sometimes. At that point, I like I have very limited spoons. Why would I spend them on something I don't know would be productive? Sure. There are times that I've had night terrors that I've just come right up out of sleep. And, and they felt so vivid and, and real. And they felt so vivid I, and real. Yeah. yeah. And so for that, that was part of my like, we don't know for sure. You know, and that's also why I reached out to the, a few of the other people that were in the situation to ask if they remembered. But again, you know, human memory that can't be mm-hmm. that can't be super trusted. Sure. So ultimately, the the deciding factor on whether or not I was going to trust that it happened or not boiled down to there are gigantic blind spots in my memory. I don't really right. remember pre Scarlet's life much, and I had her right before I turned eighteen. Mm-hmm. I can kind of remember bits and pockets of my relationship with Seth or with Chasden and each of them was over a year. So like I can remember pockets of being with them. Right. But other than that, like I don't really remember much of many details of my life. And so like that's why inner child work is really difficult because they're like, what did you like when you were little? And I remember being okay with dying at six years old. So it's difficult to come up with answers for that. Right. You know? But when I remember something that unlocks a bunch of other memories too. Mm-hmm. That's when I'm like, okay, I'm inclined to think that this is something that's actually there and I just haven't accessed it in a long time. Because, for example, this memory happened in our house in Newman and I can remember the thick blue carpet, the navy blue carpet that we had in our whole house. And I it, can confirm about that. It wasn't necessarily shag, but it was thicker than like normally carpet would be. Yes, yeah, because like while the carpet was kind of thick, mm-hmm. The reason why it was so thick, as you put it, is I had a premium, I forget what they call it. There's a there's a mat or something that you put down between the floor and the... Yeah, like the padding or whatever. Padding, yeah. right. I remember crawling around and like playing on that floor with Dana in the living room. And I remember the vaulted ceiling. And I remember mm-hmm. we had foreign exchange students at that house. Yes, we did. We had foster kids at that house. Yep. That's the house I got my eyebrow scar in. So yeah. this realization, this like this flashback unlocked a bunch of other stuff at the same time. Gotcha. So okay. it, it wasn't just this one like, here's some trauma sprinkled into your work day. It was a, <laughs> here's some trauma, but here's like an also a whole bunch of other just info dump. Right. And like, that's the house that we got that heart bedroom set for like our bed and dresser. Yeah. I still have that dresser in Scar's room. She's using it currently. Which just blows me away that yeah. that thing is like And still... I was like six in that house. Right. So that's the other thing that makes me <laughs> trust that at least some of what I'm remembering is legitimate because of the other stuff that because I can Because you've got the very... extraneous details. Yeah. That, oh, yeah. that I can like factually confirm. Right. So at that point, I'm like, okay. But again, what does changing, like, what does knowing change for me? Nothing. Right. I still survived it. I got through it. It happened and that sucked, but I'm still right here anyway. Now, you having these memories, flashbacks, whatever, Mm -hmm. are these happening because you're using mushrooms or? I don't use mushrooms very often because I don't like how it makes my stomach feel like I, I already, in like the height of my mental illnesses, I would dissociate pretty regularly and I'd have a really hard time staying grounded. Like, right. and, and I used to call my body a meat suit. Like I was very anti-human for a really long time. I still call my And I've changed to mortal vessel. Suit. I feel like mortal vessel is embracing 
that it is a current state that we're in right now mm-hmm. and appreciating it as a mecha suit, right? <laughs> you know, an organic mecha suit, which is pretty dope if you think about it. Yeah, an organic Gundam suit. Yeah. Well, no, have you ever seen the anime Cells at Work? No. Okay. Well, I've never I, even heard of it. I made a TikTok about it and I'm going to mention it real quick because it's awesome. So Cells at Work is on Netflix and it's your body. It explains like how the human body does what it does. And it kind of follows along as like white blood cells, red blood cells. Each thing is personified. And so in each episode, something happens and it's something as simple as skinning your knee that to a human, you're like, you look at it and you're you're fine. You don't really care. But to your body, it's like, go red, go red, bacteria, like things coming in, (laughs) attacking, people are dying, things are on fire, like it's mad. And they're just all your little cells. Like if we're going to get heartfelt about pregnant mosquito moms, I'm going to make you feel bad for yourselves because they care about you so much that when you get a skin knee that you don't give a rat's ass about, they are losing their lives trying to keep your wound clean and keep you healed and safe and alive. Okay, real quick, if you have just started listening to us on this episode and you're like, what are they talking about, Mosquito Moms? Um, You definitely want to listen to episode six, the one about solving some of the world's problems, because we do talk about... We do talk about mosquitoes. I totally forgot that was yeah, mosquito moms. Yeah. So, um, but if I, you're it just, long-term listener, you know exactly what we're talking about. You're yeah. in on the joke. All right. And it just makes me appreciate the body more because think of all the bullshit you have intentionally done to your mortal vessel. Like I used to self harm uh, regularly. Right. So intentionally damaging your body regularly for whatever reason and your body is just trucking along it's just trying to love you it is trying to heal you trying to keep you safe trying to keep you alive i can tell you actively thwarting it (laughs) i can tell you at age 50 my body is totally remind me is tired of of how yeah of how (laughs) much i subjected it to uh subjected to it you know, being in mosh pits mm-hmm. or doing stupid stuff like jumping from one abandoned building to the other and like going through the roof. Yeah. Or, you know, so. excessive drinking and drugs. <laughs> that too. Yeah. So, um, I, but yeah, I answer your question. I don't regularly <laughs> do <laughs> mushrooms. Um, the few times that I have done them though, I have had a flashback like one or two in that week after I do it. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much it. But during that time, I'm still processing. I'm still in that mindset of whatever realizations or revelations I had. Sure. Because I, anytime I do anything mind-altering, and I don't count cannabis as mind-altering because for me it's yeah, just no, like regulating either. anxiety. I'm very regular, or very rarely actually stoned. Usually not it's either. just to keep me it's, at like a base level of neutral. I do CBD to help take the edge off the chronic pain. Yeah. Not all the time because if I'm in a good place, I'm still hurting but it's bearable and yeah. i can work through it but on those times when it's like ooh, this is getting a little yep spicy then you're like, uh, okay a little bit of cannabis yeah. Yeah, yeah so i don't consider that as it but anytime that i do any kind of air quote mind altering substance i always go into it intentionally where like i have a whole self-care like i wouldn't call it self-care but i have a whole routine for any time I do anything like that. And I go into it with the intention of like, okay, this is what I want to focus on. I just want to try to work through this trauma, try to figure this out. Because ultimately, I feel like it allows me to step away from where I'm currently at in like my trauma. 
right and just look at it from a different perspective that doesn't have all my fears and anxieties and concerns of like self-doubt and all of the bad things that hold you back from making the right choices for yourself i'm able to kind of step out of it for a second and just kind of be like well you know sure all those bad things could happen but like what what about all the good things that could happen too and then i'm able to think of other solutions that i ordinarily wouldn't Right. You know, what's well, a good thing. That you, I was kind of asked about that because another thing that uh, McKenna was talking about as far as his stoned ape theory was that while the smaller amounts of the psychedelic mushrooms would give you that acuity, mm-hmm. he was saying that like that would be small amounts, but like larger amounts would actually increase in a higher rate of reproductive success and um, a higher level of attention, more energy. Mm-hmm. Now, you assume that this is true. And I'm not saying that it is true. There mm-hmm. are people, and I'm sure there are listeners that absolutely believe that we came from Adam and Eve and all of that. And there are people that don't believe in that at all. I do want to respect that. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that whatever you believe, here's my thing. Believe what you want to believe. Just don't be an a-hole about it. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Do you want to know what I believe actually? Sure. So I do like your story where you're talking about how we used to exist in trees and ended up migrating to a more like ground level. Right. When I was a kid, I don't want to call it a mockumentary because it wasn't a comedy or anything, but it definitely isn't fact. Mm -hmm. But Animal Planet did like a documentary about if humans evolved to mermaids. And so like their whole point was that what their stance was at one point we lived on the ground and then something happened that caused the sea water, like the sea levels to rise. Right. So half of the population went into the ocean and became ocean dwelling creatures. The other half went further inland and then started living near mountains and in trees and things like that. And so that's why they're like, here we are, but we have no way of knowing for sure that there's nothing in the ocean that might have evolved into that. So it's kind of in the same realm of like you were just talking about how they migrated. The world changed, global warming already, whatever. Well, yeah. and So here I am, I'm like, there may be mermaids. (laughs) (laughs) Well, scientifically, species that do adapt successfully continue on. The species, now, this is just if you talk about natural selection, selection, whatever, not talking about like man-made things like, you know, destroying an entire rainforest or whatever, Mm -hmm. Um, but left to its own devices, species will either adapt to changes and they'll adapt with new capabilities, whether it's camouflage or whatever, Mm -hmm. or they die out. You know, I was actually just thinking about this exact thing on my way home from work yesterday, how it's interesting that life just seems to kind of repeat itself. And by that, I mean... Like in this specific trait, it's all about balance. They have to evolve because something somewhere else changed. So then they themselves have to change to reciprocate for that and anything. Right. Any living creature, plant, animal, human, everything that has evolved, it's because something gets thrown off somewhere else. And so they all have to compensate and it's all just trying to balance Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's just like what Jeff Goldblum's character in Jurassic Park said, life will find a way. Mm -hmm. And it definitely does. But the other thing, too, is that, like, McKenna also talked about that higher doses of the uh, uh, psilocybin, (laughs) can't talk, would also be triggering activity in the language-forming region of the brain, Mm -hmm. which would be manifesting as music and visions, which would act as a catalyst for the emergence of language, mm-hmm. but that it would also dissolve ego, and then religious concerns would be at the forefront of the group, the tribe's consciousness. Spiritual growth, yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, 
Now, of course, part of the criticism is that that doesn't all that doesn't always show mm-hmm. in various civilizations because the Aztecs use psychedelic mushrooms uh, among the priest class, and that doesn't reflect. McKenna's model of how psychedelic cultures would behave. There's also the example of Amazonian tribes. But at a certain point, though, in just the cultures we've already listed from what I'm familiar with them, familiar of them with, they use that as a deity tool. What do you mean like by a deity tool? Like only priests were able to do it. It was specifically to be able to interact with and interpret whatever their religious deity wanted them to know or do or say or etc. So it was specifically served for a spiritual purpose. Nonetheless, it just wasn't given to the masses. Kind of feel like the burning bush in uh, the Old Testament. It's cannabis. I think it was. I wholeheartedly would. I, I could see it. You know, I actually. Or maybe maybe not cannabis, maybe. But that's one thing I wanted to do when I was like originally thinking of the podcast idea, like before you and I talked mm-hmm. is originally I was thinking of making one with another friend where I come up with these random ass ideas all the time where I'm just sitting here and I'm like, you know what? I bet it was actually this. And it's some normal as fuck explanation. Sure. And that's like glorified throughout history, you know? And like, this is a perfect example. Like, just imagine these two dudes were like, you know what? I'm so tired of all the bullshit. I'm so tired of the sheep. I just want to go hang out. And they just find this cool cave and it's cooler than outside because, you know, thermodynamics. Right. And then they find a bush and they're like, let's burn it. You know, keep us warm because it's cool in here. And then they just hot box a cave. <laughs> and then, and then they had their first spiritual, like, whoa what if god just like you know and then we like whatever and i just immediately channeled kyle from from amanda please i'm so sorry but it's funny yeah i I imagine it's like some normal as fuck a thing and then it just became over glamorized throughout time and i i think about that all the time it's funny that that's your point of reference because when you're doing that i'm thinking of bill and ted Not that Bill and Ted ever smoked weed in any of the movies. Yeah, but, but like, they were like, you know? And I'm like, yeah. And you were like, dude. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> Ted? Yes, Bill. Dude. Dude, what if God was this burning bush? What if God was one of us? <laughs> Just a slob, like one of us, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that would be most excellent. excellent. <laughs> I love this so much. Yeah, right, right. But imagine, like, imagine that you are Homo erectus. <laughs> yeah. And you come down from the trees and you start consuming these mushrooms. Because you got to figure, how do we find out anything's edible? You put it in your mouth. Yeah. Like, now we have a huge body of knowledge. that's the other thing I think about, too, is imagine being the first person that ate deadly things. Imagine being the first person that got swung by a scorpion. The biggest thing that I wonder about, if I had to choose one thing that I wonder about. Or those, like, red berries that are poisonous that you can't tell apart from the non-poisonous ones. Sure. My thing that I always, that if there was, if if you came to me and said, we will solve one of those mysteries for you. This is the mystery (laughs) that I would want to know. Okay. Who looked at a beehive, saw bee feces... And said, I want to try that. <laughs> I bet you some a human saw a bear do it. I'm sure that it had to be somebody some who got high. Yeah. Well, you know Mad Honey. Mad Honey. Yeah. It's so, have you never heard of Mad Honey before? Mm-mm. Ooh, okay. So, Mad Honey is made by, like, wasps 
from rhododendron pollen. Right. And it's like hallucinogenic. It's like spicy honey. Okay, but in order to get it, you gotta Yeah. You gotta face murder bees. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Like I personally I I like the idea of it and I Maybe if it were ever, like, offered to me from a source that I could actually count on and, re- like, was reliable, then I and might, did I'm, not I have might be like, yeah, I might be like, you know what, Let, let's give it a try. But I'm not I... going to lie to you. I want to try that. I would totally try it. I'm not going to go. I can babysit you. If you, if you somehow, I don't know, I don't know if it's illegal or not. I, I feel like it's just honey, so I can't imagine it's illegal. But, you know, the government kind of makes anything that's good for not good for you, but anything people like. Anything illegal. that's going to expand your consciousness. Yeah. And realize that you're just basically a wage slave for yeah. modern day yeah. land barons. Yeah. And sometimes I get so angry because if you think because about it. Because of the it, mad honey? No. I mean, maybe after I did, maybe if we did it, I would get angry. But like just thinking about the way <laughs> things are currently. Imagine they call it mad honey. And because- you're like, God, I'm so angry about capitalism. <laughs> Fuck this. <laughs> well, no, because it causes hallucinations. Oh, so imagine like you hallucinate a bear and then you're just like, God damn it, this fucking bear. <laughs> Fuck you and your American dream. <laughs> like, What's wrong with this guy? Uh, uh, what's going on? I don't but see like, nothing. I get, I get so angry because everything that exists right now was made up by a human. Every single thing. Anything that your eyeballs are physically looking at that's not a living creature has been thought of and then invented by another person. But it has to be made out of things that are like natural. Well, no, but no, but I mean, like, think about this. Well, there's physical stuff like computers, right. street lights, roads, all of this stuff. People just kind of accept that it just exists and this mm-hmm. is just how the world is. But it wasn't always like this. Humans did this. Humans have built okay, everything. Okay, sure, yes. Right? Now... Let's also think conceptually. Every single law that has ever existed only existed because somebody was angry enough to yell at someone enough, long and loud enough, to then make it everyone's problem. Damn you kids, get off my so, lawn. But, now there's a, a law that saying, says though, is like, kids can't be on people's lawns. We, we live in the society of capitalism. We live in a society. And <laughs> society. Like that's a construct that was created by people too. Sure. So we're all, all of us are so fucking unhappy. I don't know anyone that can genuinely look me in the face and been like, I am so satisfied with the way everything is done and the way that this country is ran. I think it's not just the country. I think it's the world. Exactly. But But it's because of constructs that humans have created. And we feel so trapped because that's just the way things are. Like That's just the way it is. And I immediately thought of a rancid song. That's just the way things are. That's just the way it is now. Sorry. Um, (laughs) But I just wanted to remind everyone while I have this platform... Literally everything we don't like about this world was instituted by other people. So why the fuck do we not believe that we can change it going forward? Well, I think that's because we've just had a long line of propaganda for it. I know. But what I'm saying is... You know what it is. Everything was made by a person. Sure. A person that did not know that it was going to change the world the way that they knew it at the time. They were just... Trying an idea, just seeing if something worked. Well, a lot of and things so were like, solving a, a problem it. at that moment. 
So like you got to figure like a cup, something as simple as a cup. Mm-hmm. Our caveman ancestors were probably scooping yeah, with like their water hands, in their hand. Leaves. And I don't know if you've ever tried to scoop water with your hand. Like 90% of the water leaves your hand before you, <laughs> so you're getting sips. Yeah. Like you're picking up whole handfuls, but you're getting a sip because most of it's just poured out. Yeah. And you know that somebody like figured out, oh, if I just take this half of a coconut or a leaf yeah. and just now I can scoop it and hold it. And now and, look at us. We always use cups for everything. We have bottles, all sorts of drinking mechanisms. That's exactly what I'm saying. It's like we get so overwhelmed of we're stuck in this world. This is how it's always going to be. But I wanted to remind everyone that literally everything in this world is because somebody had an idea and was like, you know what? I'm going to believe in myself for five fucking seconds. I'm going to do the thing and then see what happens. And now everyone uses cups. I think it went, I want to be able to drink more water than what I'm getting there. So they create the cup and then somebody else goes, <laughs> they recognize I'm going to create the cup with a lid. That is capitalism is recognizing yes. a need, then supplying demand, whatever, whatever. And charging the for point the... that I'm trying to make though, is in general, if you have an idea, do the thing. Right. Cause who knows? It could be the next thing that ends up changing the world as we know it. Oh, sure. Absolutely. If you just believe in yourself for five seconds and just do the thing. Well, yeah. But I also think that we're also unhappy to kind of talk about what you were mentioning about being unhappy. I think a lot of it's we're unhappy because we are convinced that if I have a cup that holds the water so I'm able to get more, Mm -hmm. I should be happy that I have the cup that gives me the ability to hold that much water. Mm -hmm. But But now all of a sudden you're worried about how full it is. Well, no, not necessarily because now it's like, oh, well, that person has like a cup with a lid Mm-hmm. So now I have to have the cup with the lid and we're convinced that we have to, that we need things that we don't actually need. Mm-hmm. So at that point, we're externalizing our needs. We're not really paying attention to our own needs. Yep. I would agree. And this is definitely something we can go more Which in depth is in a future thing that you podcast would, episode. Like, these are the kind of realizations that you have when you're doing psychedelics, since that's what the whole point of this episode was. Is like you recognize those kind of behaviors and thought patterns that aren't serving you and that are perpetuating those kind of cycles. Right. And then you want to check out and then that doesn't serve a capitalist society that you you're comfortable just sticking with the the basic cup. Mm -hmm. You don't need the cup with the bling on it that says pimp on it or (laughs) big mama or whatever on it. I don't think I actually know anybody that owns a cup like that. Oh, I'm sure somebody out there. (laughs) Maybe my Anna. Hey, uh, listeners, if you own a cup, it says pimp on it tweet or something at us. Like I want to see all tweet of at us I actually I want to see, see who has the best the best pimp cup yeah and the best story it, I mean you can't just go buy a pimp cup from party city I mean you still could Why like not? That, that's valid but like yeah that's valid I would I, I would appreciate this, any uh, stories <laughs> so I just want to know I show us know pictures the of your own pimp cups pimp <laughs> show cups. us the picture of your pimp cups and it doesn't necessarily have to say pimp on it it could say big daddy it could be whatever Okay, if you have like an awesome cup like that, that's just really weird. By all means, share that I with us. Also, show us pictures. I would also count like Viking chalices. I would count those. Sure, any Vampiric kind of weird cups. Chalices. I'm just saying unusual cups. Okay. I shouldn't say weird. So not cups. not just, just pimp cups. Just honestly, well, my favorite cup I've ever seen is this one that was designed so that it, it's like a teacup. Think Chip from Beauty and the Beast, mm-hmm. but fully intact. But it has a porcelain doll face on it. And it's so wonderfully Yikes. creepy. I love it so much. <laughs> my uh, my friend has a redneck wine glass. Mm-hmm. Is it a whole bottle? No. It's a red solo cup oh with a stem handle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. that's Talk about recognizing a need. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
for when you're that's when an you're idea a redneck that someone and you believed in themselves for five <laughs> seconds and it still worked even though it's insane oh. and you know that a bunch of people bought it just for the novelty yeah i would take but that camping no listeners Classy camping just share the pictures if you have a funny story or you just want to share the story with us just feel free to drop that to us yeah. the twitter which will be in the show notes and we'll also tell you what it is here it's in a moment it's just tricky fish it's just pod. tricky fish pod but um <laughs> and on tiktok eventually if yeah. that's not already up right now i feel like the videos i make impersonating you are probably going to be up already i love those videos not gonna lie <laughs> All right. Well, um, we talked about the stoned ape theory. Yeah. Just let us know what you think, whether you think it's a plausible theory, if you think it's complete BS. So to recap that theory, because we did get lost on a lot. We of did tangents. get lost. So yeah. somebody hypothesized that we ultimately evolved from another homo version (laughs) that became enlightened after microdosing essentially on psychedelic mushrooms and just kind of evolving mentally and neurologically that's the word i wanted yeah and i personally could see some merit in that um based off of my experience with psychedelics i could totally see some merit in that i feel like i personally have changed a lot mentally and spiritually in the times that I've experienced it. I feel like that theory just basically I, I proves wish, that people and and animals as well, just they like to get high. I wish people could do this with their doctors. Like I wish microdosing was a more like once a week, just go and hang out with your doctor for an hour, four hours, I guess, <laughs> with, a, with a trip, depending on what the, the drug could be. But just like hanging out, you could hang out with your therapist. That way, you know, that you're like, was someone safe? You know, if it was legal, but Oregon just decriminalized a lot of things and they're doing so many awesome studies and I'm loving it. Yes. Um, But I feel like if you were the therapist and having to do it every. I could get down with. But that you build up like you you well, start no, the no, day no. off like your therapist is your babysitter is like sober through it and you oh, are the one experiencing I thought you it were and they're like about helping they do it too it. no dude they would get so fried <laughs> so fried but anyway yeah so uh we were talking about how humans now could have evolved psychologically from and spiritually people yeah. that just had their minds blown by some mushrooms by accident it sounds like it doesn't yeah. sound like they were foraging I mean, looking for it but i mean they probably were eventually but like the first time yeah yeah I, I vibe with it. I'm cool with it. I'm, I'm cool with accepting that. I would encourage them as long as you go about them the safe and proper way. If people ask, I'd be willing to discuss my routine for things like that. But I didn't want to just word vomit all We don't want to put that into a podcast. <laughs> well, no. No, you no, can... no, no, no. There's, it's totally, it's a good routine to have regardless for self-care. Like, it, it's still good information to have. I just didn't want to input it up. Anyway, let us know if you want it and how you feel about this theory about humans. And remember to be nice. Yeah, be nice. Live your best life. Yeah. Don't be an a-hole. <laughs> Advice to live by. All right, my fellow stoned apes, this is a week. Bye. And this has been another episode of Tricky Fish. If you liked what you heard and want more of us, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you find your podcast. Reviews and comments really help us out, so feel free to leave us one. Otherwise, you can find us at trickyfishpodcast.com and Twitter at trickyfishpod.